We have been in this section of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is correcting the false teachings that have been circulating uh, regarding the law of Moses. And uh, what you see those uh, religious teachers doing in Jesus' day is the same thing that we have the tendency to do, which is to take the high standard of God's law and lower it to such a level so that we can look like that we're obeying it just Perfectly, And that's what they were doing. And Jesus has has told them they were doing that very thing. Rather than focusing on murder, he reminds them you're not supposed to be angry in your heart. Rather than focusing simply on adultery, he says that lust in your heart is also a sin. Rather than focusing on, well, you can just divorce for any reason. You have Jesus saying there's one reason for divorce, and that's sexual immorality. Rather than focusing on only having to keep your word if you make a vow, Jesus says anything you say, you are supposed to keep. And so Jesus has been going through and saying, here is what you have been teaching. That's not what God's law said. Here's what the law actually said. And so we're in this final section now of Jesus doing that at the end of Matthew 5. These final two paragraphs of Matthew 5 continue in trying to teach what righteousness was really supposed to look like. You will notice, as was just read for us in verse 38, and it says there, they were teaching an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is in the law of Moses. However, what they said that to mean was, whatever you do to me, I can do to you. <laughs> That's how they interpreted that. All right, eye for an eye. And you've probably heard people do the same thing today. And whatever you do to me, I can turn back and do to you. And it's important to recognize that's not what the law of Moses taught when it said an eye for an eye. It is explicitly condemned in the law of Moses, like in Leviticus 19, that there was never supposed to be personal retribution. The law never said, all right, if somebody does something to you, you have the right to go do something right back at them. When you read about that, which is not the time that we have for this lesson, but when you read Moses giving the eye for an eye teaching, the message was for the judges and that judicial system that the punishment is to fit the crime. Whatever somebody does, then the punishment should be equal to it. It should not be too heavy and it should not be too light. And we even have a sense of that within ourselves in our own justice system that we don't like it when we see a punishment that doesn't fit the crime. We go, oh, that's too light. You know, that's, that's not right. Or it's too heavy. And you go, wow, that was way over the top for what that was. Well, that's what God was giving under the law of Moses when he said eye for eye and tooth for tooth, that didn't mean if you punch me in the face, I'm going to punch you in the face back. It was trying to set the legal system that whatever the punishment was, the crime, that crime should be equal to it. Those two things should be working together. But what I want you to notice that Jesus does here as he now gives the answer to this in verse 39 is he does not say now here's what God's standard was. If somebody does something to you, just make sure to not do it back. And sometimes that's where we want to set the level at. Let's set the level right there. All right, somebody does something really bad to you. As long as I don't respond in kind, then that's 
doing what God wants. But notice what Jesus does in setting the bar. In verse 39, he says, Do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And if anyone who begs from you, do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Really interesting that he doesn't say, just don't respond in kind. He actually says, I want you to go above and beyond. I want you to actually go above and beyond what is expected. That the standard is not simply, okay, don't retaliate. That's true. And the standard's not simply don't fight fire with fire. Okay, that's true. Don't do eye for an eye like it was being commonly taught. That's right. Don't do that. But that's not the standard. The standard actually was set in that we would also be willing to go above and beyond what is expected. Verse 41 might be the easiest one of these descriptions that Jesus gives that can help resonate with us. In in verse 41, he talks about if one forces you to go one mile, go with him too. In Roman times, a Roman commander could compel civilians to carry their luggage uh, for a prescribed distance of one Roman mile. And if you know your scriptures, you might remember that a man named Simon was actually compelled to do such a thing in carrying the cross of Jesus. As Jesus is no longer able to carry it, you will read that it says that Simon, a passerby, was compelled. Well, that's what's happening right here is they're saying, okay, under Roman government law, you have to carry it one mile. But what I want you to notice is what Jesus says is actually, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go beyond what's expected. I want you to go beyond what is required of you. And the thing that I think is so interesting about reading this paragraph is when you you slow down and kind of just let it settle on you for a moment, it is easy to have a lot of resistance to what this is saying. It is easy to read that and go, well, this can't be right. Go a second mile. How dare them make me go one mile? Terrible Roman government. That's what responds in out of us is we want to fight back and go, no, wait a minute. I'm not going to go two. I'm not going to go one. Who do you think you are? And I think it's important to see that what Jesus is trying to picture for us is that the Christian life is not about asserting our rights. The Christian life is not about asserting our rights. Because Jesus could have said, and when you hit that one mile mark, man, you throw that stuff down and you get out of there. (laughs) You did what was legally obligated for you to do. He says, no, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go above and beyond. That the Christian life is not about looking at this world and doing the absolute bare minimum but rather a willingness on our part to give up our rights and to go above and beyond for other people. And every illustration that is given from verse 39 to verse 42 is essentially laying down your own rights and going above and beyond for the other person. That's what each one is driving at. And that can be hard. 
especially in our culture, in our country, which is all about our right, our freedom, our way, our say so, how dare you? Not the Christian. The Christian does not rally up the rights and say, how dare you, but says, I'll even go further than what you ask. I will go above and beyond. I will do even more than you're even asking of me. That is the image that Jesus is portraying as he gives these descriptions. Not surprisingly, what is he saying? That we selflessly sacrifice ourselves. That we are giving of ourselves. That we are going to be radically different. In the way that we deal with people, deal with culture, deal with government, we are going to be the people who go above and beyond. That is the picture that he says. Jesus doesn't tell us to insist on our own rights, but rather go ahead and do what is asked and then even more so. If you are forced to go one mile, you go ahead and take the second mile. Can you imagine? I wanted. I just tried to visualize what that looked like. After that Roman commander got done after the first mile and the guy carried all this stuff, turned to the commander and said, I'm good, let's go another mile. I mean, his jaw must have like hit the ground like, <laughs> yeah, no, this, that's fine. Let's just keep going. Uh, where do you want me to take this? I'll just go ahead and take it. Wherever you need me to take this, I'll help you. Uh, what a picture. That must have been so countercultural, so revolutionary to come across somebody who would say, no, no, I won't do the bare minimum. Let me help you even above and beyond. Let me go beyond your expectation." Let me go beyond what you actually require. Let me give even more. And I want you to see that's what this final paragraph really pushes into. As all of these pictures are given about these false concepts about God's standard. This final one really brings in this idea of going above and beyond in that final paragraph. Notice verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This one I find the funniest of all of them. Here's the standard. Love people that love you and hate people that don't. Friends, that wasn't even in the law of Moses. I mean, there are some of the things that are quoted where you can go, okay, that was there, but they misapplied it. This one's not even there. (laughs) That isn't nowhere in the law of Moses. Nowhere does he say it's okay to hate your enemies and only do good to those who love you back. That's, but that's what they were saying. And if you slow down and think about that for a minute, we like that one. Only do for those who do to you. I only have to love people that love me back. I only have to do good for people who do good to me first. We love to operate in that kind of sphere. Love people who love you, do good to people that do good to you, and hate those who don't. (laughs) It's very much the air we breathe in our world right now. Let's just be antagonistic and hateful to everybody who's not nice to me, and I'll only love people who agree with me and love me. That's what they were doing. Notice what Jesus says. Verse 44, love your enemies... And pray for those who persecute you. Here's the standard. The standard is not love people that love you. No, the standard is this. I want you to love your enemies. And if that wasn't hard enough, and I even want you to pray for them. 
I want you to pray for the people who are actively trying to harm you. Pray for those who persecute you. They are actively trying to hurt you. They are actively trying to ruin you. I want you to love them and I want you to pray for them. That's the standard that God gave. And I want you to notice the two reasons that are given for this to help us see why this is supposed to be of our character. Verse 45. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Why are we supposed to love all people? Why even love your enemies? Why even pray for those who persecute you? Because God does good to all people too. That's what he gives the picture. God has it rain on the evil and on the good. And the sun shines on the evil as well as the good. Which by the way, you think about it. God didn't have to make it that way. And remember during the plagues, it's really funny. Here's all of Egypt in darkness except the little land of Goshen gets a little sunlight on them. <laughs> God can do that. But he says, no, no, here's what I, I want you to see. Every single day it rains on the wicked and the righteous. And every single day the sun shines on the wicked and the righteous. Why do you do good for all people and love enemies and pray for those who persecute you? Because that's the character of God. Because that's what God is doing today and every day is doing good to those who hate him, doing good to those who stand against him, doing good to those who resist him. And that we are supposed to be the people of God who reflect that. And not only are we then following the character of God, but verse 46 gives us another image. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Second picture, number one is God does good to the evil as well as the good. So we must also. Second picture is if you only love people that love you, that's what everybody does. That's human nature. That's not being different and you've been called to be different. That's what he means by tax collectors and Gentiles. If you were speaking to a Jewish audience, those were considered the worst of the worst of people, those outsiders, those terrible people, those miserable wretches. And he says, guess what? They do that. Everybody loves people who love the Mac. That's not doing anything. That's standard operating procedure. That's what everybody does. The hard thing, the being different is to love those who are your enemies. And I think that's really important today. It's really important for us to practice and to exhibit and to show today in a world and in a culture right now where we have so much hate. There's so much hatred in our communities, so much hatred toward government, hatred toward politicians, hatred toward the other side. We're supposed to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. We're supposed to be different. We're not supposed to look like that. We're not supposed to be caught up in those things. We're supposed to love everyone and love our enemies and go the extra mile and not be those 
who participate in that kind of thinking and that kind of behavior. So much so that listen to verse 48. Here is the true standard that really controls all of chapter five. Let it control the whole of your life. Verse 48. Therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Let's talk about that on a couple of levels. Level number one is this. The way you live your life is not based upon what the world says to do, but what God says to do. You, therefore, just be like the world and follow the culture. And no, you are supposed to be like your heavenly father. You listen to what he says and you do what he says to do. You follow his example. You don't follow the world's example. You're supposed to be like him. And that's being implied throughout the whole chapter. I mean, that's what he did just a little bit earlier. Why should you love your enemies? Because God does. He makes the sunshine on the unjust and the just, and he makes it rain on the wicked and the righteous. We're supposed to be following that example. That's what's being given to us. And so often we can miss that. So often we can use the standard and say, well, this is what everybody else is doing. And if you had little kids, you responded this with this great retort. Or if you were a little kid and you tried that on your parents and you said to them, hey, everybody else is doing it. And then your dad came along and said, well, if everybody was playing on a freeway, would you? Yes. We want to play the same game with God. Well, everybody else is doing it. That's how everybody else acts. That's how they talk. That's how they live their lives. So I'm going to also. You're not supposed to be like them. You're not supposed to look at the world and go, well, I'm just fitting right in. That's not the standard. The standard is not everybody else in the culture talks like that. So you can too. Or everybody else has hate in the culture. So you can too. Everybody else is unkind and lacking compassion and really ugly and slander. So you can too. That's not the standard. Be like your father. Love your enemies and pray for them. That's the standard. We're looking to God, not to the culture, to define how we're supposed to live, and how we're supposed to speak. And yet so often that's what we can do because everybody else does it, then that's what we will do. That's not how we're supposed to be defined. Here is the higher bar. The higher bar is this, and I hope it smacks you in the face like Jesus wanted it to smack you in the face. I want you to be perfect like God. You let that rattle around for a minute. I want you to be perfect just as your heavenly father is perfect. Whoa. Now we're putting the bar back where it belongs. You see how we just keep lowering the bar everywhere? Oh, yeah, I'm doing really great. I'm a great Christian. I'm doing all these little things. I showed up to church today. Look at me. I'm really great. Here's the bar. Be like your heavenly father. Now think about your last week. How'd that go? Maybe I wasn't as successful last week as I thought. Maybe I wasn't doing righteousness exactly as great as I thought I was. When you put the bar back where it belongs. 
What Jesus is doing here, as well as throughout this whole paragraph in chapter five, is to get us into the right place that when you understand the standard is to be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect. Well, now I'm going to be poor in spirit. Because I'm not anywhere near that. And I'm going to start mourning over my sins because now I start seeing how many they are. I don't see how righteous I am. I see how terrible I am under that standard. I can't sit there and go high five, you know, no adultery this week. Okay, great. No, I'm supposed to be like my heavenly father. Well, that's not looking very good. I'm supposed to humble myself. I'm supposed to be pure in heart. All the things that the Beatitudes started with in that chapter of chapter 5 laid out. Here is the character of the people of God. Only then will we be what God wants us to be. We have to be hit firmly in the face with the standard of you're supposed to be like your heavenly father. You're made in the image of God. And you're supposed to represent him. You're supposed to shine as a light. Right after the Beatitudes, what are you supposed to be? Just like the world. No, you're supposed to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You're supposed to be so different that you're shining a light because you are looking like your heavenly father. That's how transformation is going to happen. That's how that process is going to take place. Because it's only when we see that standard in that light. That we will see God rightly. And then see ourselves rightly. We get like, oh, yeah, here's God and here's me. You know, I'm, I'm doing really great. Okay, here's the standard. Be perfect like your heavenly father. Okay, that just, that's what I should be looking at. I should be looking at, man, I'm doing great. I should be looking at, holy cow, look at the gap. Look how far I am from that. That's what Jesus is trying to communicate to us. Is that when we understand who we are and who God is properly, that should break any pride that we would ever have in our hearts. When we look at the standard the way God said it, there's no room for pride. See, pride comes in and I go, okay, yeah, I didn't steal today. You know, no adultery today, no murder today. You know, whew, great week for me. A plus Christian. But then when you have the standard put back to where it was, how did you love on your enemies? Now we're seeing things properly. Now we're putting the bar back where it belongs. And so as we think about that, when God tells us, I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all of your strength. How we been doing? And I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. And neighbor does not mean only the people who love you, but everybody, even your enemies. How we been doing? I want you to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. How we've been doing. See, now Jesus has us where he wants us to be thinking rightly. This is the mentality he wants us to have. Let's talk about this for a minute. Why is this so hard? 
Let's just take a step back and think about, we'll just use the last one we had. Let's just talk about loving your enemies. Why is it so hard not to retaliate? Why is it so hard not to resist the evil one as he spoke of there in verse 39? Why is it so hard to go the extra mile, the second mile? Why is it so hard to let go of our rights? Why is it so hard to love our enemies? Why is it so hard to pray for those who persecute you? I would suppose if I said everybody in unison say the same answer would be the same answer. They don't deserve it. How can I love them? They don't deserve it. I'm not going to go the extra mile for them. Don't you know what they are, who they are, what they've done, how terrible they are to me? They hate me. They persecute me. They're mean to me. They're ugly. They're awful. They're enemies. Why do we not love our enemies? Why is that so hard? Because so often what we do is we pin everything to whether a person deserves our love or not. We will go the extra mile If we think they deserve it, sure, I'll help you. I'll go the extra mile for you. But for you, no way. You're terrible. You don't deserve that. You don't deserve my time. Why do we not go the extra mile? They don't deserve it. Why can't I pray for them? They don't deserve it. Why can't I love them? They don't deserve it. Why can't I help them? They don't deserve it. Why can't I turn the other cheek? They don't deserve it. If we boil down the reasoning, most often our reasoning is they don't deserve it. And friends, our life decisions cannot be made based on the fact that we decide if someone deserves it or not. That's not what he said. I wish it said that. It'd be a whole lot easier. We could do high fives all around. We're doing great. Let's all go home. He says, love your enemies. And he doesn't say, unless they don't deserve it. But that's what we condition it with there's a we put the big if if they really deserve it then we'll do it and so how do we decide if we're going to love somebody if they deserve it or not and friends think about how far reaching this is why do we not love our spouse the way we ought to in marriage because they don't deserve it why don't we show love in family relationships because they don't deserve it Why don't we show love toward one another? Well, they don't deserve it. Don't you know what they did? How come we don't love our neighbor? Well, do you know what they did? They don't deserve it. We define everything through that lens. They don't deserve it. And God didn't say, love everyone unless they don't deserve it. In fact... The point of verse 45 made it very clear that that's not what Jesus means. Do the evil deserve his reign and his son? And once we stood under the lens of verse 48, do we? No, in fact, did Jesus act based on what you deserved? Did Jesus turn the other cheek for you? Did Jesus go the extra mile for you? Did Jesus go above and beyond for you? Did he only do the bare minimum for you? Does he only love those who love him? We must stop doing good for people based on the good they've done for us. 
And so often that's the lens. I will do as much as it matches what they have done for me. And I will only go that far. And that's why Jesus used all that imagery back here from verse 39 to verse 42 about extra tunics and extra miles and all of that. It's not about what is deserved. And so we must stop lowering this bar and justifying ourselves in the process when we only love people who love us back. That's not what Jesus told us to do. And that's so easy to do as our world gets harder and more hate and more toxicity and more problems and more controversy. We're just going to kind of ball up and only do good to the people who are good to us and only love people who love us. And we cannot do that. We're supposed to love all, love even our enemies and pray for them. I want verse 48 to bring two things to your mind because I think verse 48 is extremely powerful. I said from the very beginning of our study in chapter 5 that I think this declaration controls this chapter as well as the whole Sermon on the Mount, this huge conclusion that he draws here. I want you to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I think there are two things that they're intended that God wants to have generated in our hearts from that. The first is this, that when we read Matthew 5 and verse 48, that God wants us to see how far we are from God's standard and how much more transformation needs to happen. When I read, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, what that tells me then is there's a whole lot more transformation needed. And that I may have accomplished all of this transformation and say, boy, if you knew me when I was in my 20s, you'd see how far I've been transformed now in my 40s. And I can't look at them and go, yay me. I I stand here now and go, I got all that distance still to go. There's a long way to go. We would never look at God and go, well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good here. There is always the need for more refining. There is always the need for more transformation. And that we must understand God does that through life. He does that through trials. He does that through his word, that he is changing us and transforming us and trying to move us in that way and that we need that refining. We are not in a place right now where we could say, verse 48, all right, I have nailed that point and I am good. Lord, take me home. No, I read that and go, give me more time. (laughs) Give me more time. I need more transforming. I need more changing. I need more refining. Got a whole lot to work on here. But by the same token, not only when you read verse 48, will it convict your heart for the need for more change. I hope that it will convict your heart to see how much you need the grace of God. What Jesus is doing here is trying to get us to see how far we are, how much more we need to change, and how badly we need God to cover the gap with grace. Because the gap is huge. And I'm nowhere near where God wants me to be. 
and I need his grace to cover that gap. Now, I believe as we kind of wrap this lesson up, there's the tendency on our part, a tendency in the religious world to usually fall to one or two sinful extremes as we try to walk with God, especially under the lens of what Jesus has put forward here in chapter five, particularly with this picture of following him in a way to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. I think then speaking out these two extremes, one extreme is to, is to simply say this, well, I have the grace of God and I don't need to change my life. You know, I, I'm a Christian and I have grace. And so, you know, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and living how I'm living and all that. What Jesus is trying to do is hit these people and say, no, you, you've got so much changing that needs to happen. Stop high-fiving about missing the big sins and notice all the other things you've come short on. There's so much more transformation that needs to happen. There's so much more refining that needs to happen. Don't rest on the grace of God and say, I don't need to change. No, I, I, I'm just going to sit on grace and I'm good. God is giving us these things so that we would change, that we would bear fruit, that we would look more and more like him. That's why the scriptures are always talking about putting to death the old self, having a renewal of the mind, putting on a new self. There is a transforming that's supposed to be happening in all of us, and that's never supposed to stop. There's never a point where we get to rest and go, no more transformation, I'm good. And we could never think we can just stand back and go, okay, I'm there. But I've also seen the other side of the coin that reads something like this and says, well, I can't meet God's standards, so I'm just going to quit. And that's just as wrong. That, friends, the whole point of seeing our failure And seeing how far short we have fallen is not so that we would question our faith, question our eternal hope, question our salvation. But rather it would just move us all the more to seek his mercy and to need a savior. You see, the problem is if we think we're doing so great, then I don't really need a savior. I'm not that bad. I'm a good moral person. And so I don't need him. I'm all right. And Jesus is going, you've got the wrong standard. The standard is be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. See how far you are, but don't give up. That's not the point. Not to read that and go, well, now I don't know. That's not the point. But there is this picture that we would then seek God that I would hope that we would read verse 48. And every day it would put us on our hands and knees thanking God for grace that's found in Jesus. That you'd read that and go, I need a Savior and I need Him today and I need Him yesterday and I'm going to need Him tomorrow. The gap is so huge. And the only way I'm going to possibly be there is not because of my righteousness, but because of the righteousness of his son. I need him. And so I would sum it up like this, then. We should always be seeking and working for transformation. While at the same time, 
giving thanks and resting in the knowledge of the grace that God has to cover the gap. And that we should never sit on one side or the other, but right up the middle. Thank you, God, for the grace that gets me through today. And Lord, transform me to make me more of what you want me to be as you give me life. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, the standard, Lord, that you have laid down for us is eye-opening. It is convicting. And Lord, we thank you that you remind us of who you are and who we are. Lord, thank you for showing us that our righteousness is not remotely enough. Thank you for showing us that we are nowhere near where you want us to be. And Lord, thank you for giving your son to cover the difference. So that as we fall short, you are there to pick us up. God, I pray that as we seek you, as we serve you, as we read your word, that you would continue to transform our lives. Lord, help us to be the people who lay down our rights, who do not think about ourselves, who will go the second mile. Help us to be the people who love our enemies. Lord, help us to strike from our mind the idea that people must deserve what we give. Lord, we know we deserve nothing from you. Lord, we do not deserve your love. We do not deserve your son. We do not deserve his sacrifice. We do not deserve this grace that we stand. God, I pray that we would give love and show love to all people. Help us to pray for those who are our enemies. Help us to pray for those who persecute us. Help us to see the souls that are around us and help us to love people like you love them. And forgive us, Lord, for how often we haven't done it. Forgive us for when we've put ourselves first. Lord, help us to be the image bearers you want us to be. Help us to be salt and light so that we can live the blessed life that you've called us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, Jesus really gives it to us in chapter 5. He just puts the standard down and says, here you go. But he does that with good reason. He wants to convict our hearts. He wants to humble us. He wants us to see that we need a Savior. And as he is working in our lives to transform us, that we would rely upon him and depend upon him with all of our heart. Confess him to be our Savior and our Lord and our King and to follow him faithfully. If you have not been immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, let that be a start point to you as you now walk with him day by day, seeking that transformation covered by grace as you walk with him. Can we help you in any way? Let us know or come forward while we stand and while we sing.